Hello and welcome to Off the Clock, a podcast made the Johnsonville way. My co-host today is Jeff Verhelst. I'm Krista Brazo, and our guest is Mike Anthony. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thank you for having me. How, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Glad you made the really long trip to get here just for our podcast. So you're you're living in what state now? I live in Ohio, okay. in Mason, about 25 minutes north of Cincinnati. Okay, we feel very honored that you came. <laughs> did you drive all or fly? I didn't ask you that earlier. Did Actually, you, fly. Did you fly? You fly. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Imagine if you had to drive every time you had to come to a meeting or something. That would be a good a way to get out of the like. Just get get out and go though. Yeah, like, I'm gonna take an extra couple days to go. Yeah, there's there. that small city called Chicago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ci- sure it's in the way. Just so happened, I got stuck there. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can drive four hours to Chicago and then four hours to get through Chicago. Yeah, that's true. You'd have to. You know. All right. Well, uh, so why don't you start with telling us a little bit about your Johnsonville story? My Johnsonville story started about 11 and a half years ago, and I was working for Acosta Sales and Marketing, which is a broker in, in the Pacific Northwest. And I was working in the Seattle market. I was a single father at the time, raising my son Bryce. Uh, so I raised him for about 15 years by myself. Uh, and a position came open as a business manager in the Northwest. And Todd Pogorzelski reached out to me, and he was flying out to Portland to meet with Fred Myers. And I flew down and met with him, and 12 days later, I had a job with Johnsonville. Wow. That's, that's a pretty quick turnaround, considering <laughs> sometimes it takes forever to fill a spot around here. Well, it's an interesting story, because Todd um, uh, grew up here in Wisconsin and lived in Wisconsin his whole life. And the irony of it was Todd knew who my father was, and oh. my father actually passed away in 2001 in New Berlin, Wisconsin. Oh. staying at a friend's house. So Todd thought it was a, uh, the irony of it all, I guess, was that he lived in New Berlin his whole life, and he said it was destiny that we had met and oh, sure. that I would end up at Johnsonville. That's, that's crazy. Wow, that is, yeah. that's very serendipitous. And we'll, we'll actually get to a little bit later on how you got into the whole um, uh, food service or uh, grocery business a little bit later once we loop back around. So that'll be a little teaser for the folks out there, so... Stay tuned. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so have you held the same role then the whole time, uh, the last 11 years at Johnsonville? No, I started as a uh, business manager in the Pacific Northwest, yep. and I had the uh, uh, supermarket channels for the Northwest, and I also had Western Canada, uh, so I was the first hybrid business manager for Johnsonville, crossing country lines. Okay. And then uh, probably about six months into my career at Johnsonville, I took over Costco nationally also. Oh, wow. Okay. So the Costco business is called on at each region. So there's eight different regions that you go to to, to negotiate that business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then about three years later, Todd came to me and asked me if I would move to the Midwest to be the central region coach. And that was a deal we had cut because my son was a... <laughs> I was a single parent, uh, sure, so when I came to sure. Johnsonville, I said, I got to get my son through high school. He's a football oh. player, Yeah. and uh, once he got through high school, Todd came to me and said, would you move? And I said, yes, and uh, we shook hands, and here I am. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right, well, good. Anything else, anything you're working on that you think is exciting that the folks would want to hear about? 
Anything I cool? think we have some really cool things in our renovation team right now from uh, the ABF sausage that we're working on. So okay. the brats in the Italian and cool. there's a, a lot of really cool stuff That's out awesome. there. I'm sure it's much more complicated and that we can just talk about here, but I'm sure it's be great for Johnsonville. So it's much more complicated stuff. than I understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an exciting time at Johnsonville now, though, because we're coming up with all these. Now we're moving into chicken and things like that. So it's it's cool to talk to somebody who's kind of on the front end of some of the innovation yeah. that's happening. And I served on the flame grilled chicken, um, no. what we call flame grilled chicken 1-0, and of course we have now 2-0 coming. Okay. So there's a lot of really exciting things coming. Wow. And um, the saying goes, the first billion was sausage, and the next billion will be all the other things we innovate. <laughs> 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 all right, cool. All right, so let's move on then uh, to your um, off-the-clock story. <laughs> I was born in Tacoma, Washington in 1960, and I have a couple sisters and my dad and mom, and he was out of the Air Force and had been a minor league baseball pitcher when he was 19 years old in the Baltimore Orioles farm system. Oh, that's cool. And he wrecked his knee uh, in spring training, and at that time, there wasn't a lot of money in baseball, so he uh, came out of the Air Force and moved to Tacoma, Washington. And then uh, he went to work for West Coast Grocery, uh, which today is called Super Value Tacoma, so it still exists today. Uh, he worked in the warehouse as a receiving clerk, and uh, he took up bowling in a bowling league uh, in 1960. He was about the age of 21 uh, and became very proficient at that over a couple years. And being an athlete and kind of a perfectionist, he took that up and, and started bowling professionally in 1963 when I was about three years old. And then over the years, he just continued to develop as a regional uh, player. And when I was 10, uh, he came home one day and said that he was moved to the swing shift. Uh, and he was no longer going to see us as children because he was being moved to the swing shift. So he knew he was good enough to go out on the Pro Bowlers Tour at that point, And he got some sponsors. And he went on the Pro Bowlers Tour in 1970 and actually took second place in the very first tournament he entered. Wow. wow. Um, so at that point, our lives changed because we were very poor as kids growing up, you know, used pickup, a used Chevy too. <laughs> um, back in the days when you rode in the back of a pickup and nobody cared. <laughs> um, the good old days. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, boat shoes and t-shirts was your school attire and, and we didn't know we were poor. We grew up in an 800 square foot house and thought we were rich. And, uh, we actually lived in that house all the way through my high school years. Uh, even after it became very successful, we always were very frugal that way. That's awesome. So talk a little bit about the success your dad had then uh, with the bowling. So he he started in 1970, as I said, and uh, over the first couple of years was very successful. And by 1974, he became the the PBA player of the year. Uh, This is back in the days when bowling was in its, uh, I guess, the, the best time of its age, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it was on national TV every Saturday. And typically led wide world of sports on a, on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, so, you know, bowling people back then were really the stars of, of the United States. It was on live TV and the NBA was uh, typically delayed. Golf was typically a delayed broadcast and, and bowling was broadcast live. Wow. Uh, yeah. So even back in those days, he was earning well in excess of $100,000, which in those days was a lot of money yeah. uh, to us. He became the first player to win a million dollars in 1981 
and at some point down the road, he was voted the greatest player of all time by the PBA Tour. Yeah, now that's where this whole thing just blows my mind. Um, so I know you just say it so nonchalantly. I'm yeah. sure you've told this story <laughs> to a hundred times. I know I've heard this once when we were interviewing you before this. And um, now the, what I love the way you said it, he's the Babe Ruth of, of bowling, right? I mean, so his celebrity it was pretty big back then. You said that there, he was constantly on TV and all this stuff. So... I yeah. kind of want to ask you the question, what was it like being his kid like around that time? Especially you said you were 10 when he first started. So, I mean, this was all through your middle school, you know, high school age. I mean, to be have your dad be like one of the largest, you know, sports celebrities in the U.S. I mean, that had to have been pretty cool or not? It, it's very cool. It's a crazy evolution, right? You go from being nobody, which I still am nobody <laughs> <laughs> to this day. Not to Johnsonville, Mike. Uh, not to Johnsonville. I'm just, you know, some guy's kid. Um, but, you know, in, in a period of three or four years, you go from walking down the street, you know, selling flowers on the corner to make your, your allowance money to uh, People Magazine coming to your junior high school in 1974 and putting your dad on the cover of a, a national yeah. publication. Yeah, so over the years, it evolved into um, going to Europe, and they actually had a tournament in Europe that was their national championship named after him called the Earl Anthony Golden Pin Cup. And oh, wow. Uh, 1988, he went to Seoul, Korea as an ambassador for the United States to establish bowling as an Olympic sport. That's just um, so cool. It didn't work out. It ended up being a test sport for that particular Olympics. Uh, but those types of things occurred. They had tournaments in Japan where they'd have uh, black belts walking down the street, clearing the path for them as they walked down the street. Oh, wow. Because they literally couldn't walk down the street. They without were, people mobbing them. Wow. Is, it's like the Beatles of bowling. I would just <laughs> say. Wow. And, but, and you loved every minute of it? or Oh, it's great because yeah. you you got to travel. You oh, know, yeah. starting in 1970 in the summer, we didn't have a normal summer. We would drive from tournament to tournament and spend four or five days in a city. And a tournament would take, you know, Wednesday to Saturday. And then you'd get up Sunday and drive to the next city. And we'd drive 12, 14,000 miles each summer between these tournaments. Uh, so as a kid, that was what we thought, you know, was normal. That was our normal. <laughs> Lo and behold, <laughs> not, not every kid's summer. That's awesome. You know, I imagine that growing up in that situation in that era would be so much easier and more innocent than if it were a kid now who has a famous parent. If you have a famous parent now, you can't escape yeah. the Internet. You can't yeah, escape. Yeah, social media and all yeah. that stuff. And yeah. I imagine it would be much more desirable to do it in the, the time period that you did it. Yeah, I, I would pass on that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. today. I would have no interest in, in having be on TMZ microphones every day. and Twitter and <laughs> yeah. Instagram and Facebook yep. uh, in your face 24-7. I mean, it was a very simple life back then because you stayed in motels and you got up and you went to the tournament. And the, whatever was reported on national TV or in the press was what was was spoken about. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't have that 24-7 on-off switch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so w let's talk about a little bit then your bowling story, um, like where it kind of started with you. So my bowling story started as a, a junior bowler in the early 70s and progressed to be a, a decent regional local player, mm -hmm. but never developed the skill set my dad had <laughs> and recognized that I didn't need to be the best sausage or food salesman or beer salesman in the world to be successful oh, yeah. at what I do. Uh, so I knew early on and by the age of 21 or 22 that I wasn't going to be a professional bowler. Mm -hmm. And by then in the early 80s, bowling was starting to slip as far as um, prize money and, and the opportunity. So I recognized it wasn't a place I was going to go. Perfect, perfect. Do you still do it for fun? I do. I okay. still bowl. I've bowled um, 34 national championships. Um, I still wow. bowl locally in tournaments. I don't bowl league. 
but I still do decent. You know, I won the uh, Cincinnati Senior Masters Tournament three years ago and placed fourth two years ago and fourth last year. So wow. I can still Nothing compete. To sneeze at. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Way better than all of us, probably. Yeah. That's awesome. So then, and you said somebody in your family owns like a bowling alley. Is that right? Or? Well, back in 1980, I moved from Tacoma, Washington to Dublin, California. And that was back when my father was still on the Pro Bowlers Tour. He retired in 1984. Uh, so he called me up when I was 19 years old and asked me to move from Tacoma to California because he had purchased a 40-lane bowling center in Dublin. So I ran that for four years. I also uh, negotiated the purchase of another bowling center in Danville, California, a 24-lane bowling center uh, that we sold in 1998. Uh, But the Dublin, California center to this day exists, and it still has my father's name, and my stepmother, uh, stepmother Susie, owns that. So how how often do you make it over there and and bowl in the old lanes a couple times? Mm, Not too often. often. It's a long trip. I'd rather go to Napa. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going all the way to California. Priorities. I might might swing by and say hi, but you know I'm probably going to spend a couple days in the vineyards. That's awesome. And how old is your son now? My son is uh, 27. And does he bowl? He, he does not. He does not think bowling's a sport. He doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like everybody else in he, his age uh, He played high school football and played very well and almost played college football. But he thinks that it's not a sport unless you can hit somebody. <laughs> That's not a lot of sports. <laughs> so bowling's probably not ever going to be something important to him. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's uh, that's awesome. So, Mike, you mentioned uh, when we talked earlier about like a patent you had created or something while while your dad was on tour. So we, we became aware in 1980 of a uh, patent that was a plastic injection mold that, that was a bowling wrist support that was spring-loaded. And that, this was at a time when starting to crank the ball as a pro bowler was something that was very important, was to create revolutions on the ball. So we actually patented this uh, liquid injection mold and produced a bowling wrist support that was spring-loaded. So as you swung the ball back, it would spring your hand forward and actually create extra revolutions on the bowling ball. That's the cool. funny thing was that wrist support ended up being used by the Oakland A's in their spring training as a baseball device because one of the friends we had from Tacoma, Washington, was Wes Stock, the Oakland A's pitching coach. And oh, I played okay. baseball against his son uh, in high school. And through connections, we became aware that he was interested in it, and they used it as a reverse technology to actually fight the pitch and swing through the ball. That's cool. So, is it still being used at all that you know of today, or is it? No, you could YouTube it and, and see from like 1981 to 1983, it was used by a vast majority of the pro bowlers on on telecasts. Okay. Uh, but then in about 1983, we just weren't making enough money and, and just walked away from it. Sure, sure. Do you still I, own one? I do not. Prototype. Is in a bowling uh, museum <laughs> somewhere? <Hall of> Fame, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thirty-five years Should later, be. I have friends that ask me for them still. Oh, really? Day. Wow, that's yeah. so cool. Um, yeah. yeah er, when we had um, talked to you last time, Mark kept pulling up YouTube videos of all your dad and trying to find you, and there is so much out there. I mean, it's it's crazy, like all these fans and everything, and they're having these great conversations, and how many times um, we were all impressed with. They had met your dad, and they said about he was, like, the greatest guy ever. And, like, I just thought that was really cool how, like, people from all walks of life all over the world were writing this stuff on the Internet. And I, yeah, it was I, great. I think that's one of the things I'm most proud about. My father is that he never became starstruck with what he did. You know, he was just a normal person and happened to be very good at something. That's um, awesome. So even in that celebrity times, he was uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he adjusted and acknowledged it and became 
reasonably comfortable with it, but it was never who he was. Sure. It didn't let him define him. That's awesome. No, it just um, it's just crazy. I, I had no idea until we talked the other day, and then it just blew up and blew up. And so those of you listening out there, just Google Earl Anthony. Uh, and there's just so much out there. You'll you'll be impressed and, and amazed. So. And if you're under 40, you've never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I said, so Google the man <laughs> and educate yourself. I do remember when I'm, I'm 40, and I do remember when bowling was like the thing on TV on Saturdays. I was pretty young when it was happening, but I do remember it was on TV. It oh. was like a big deal, and now you kind of have to – I'm sure there's some ESPN station that specializes it on a certain yeah, day ESPN, or whatever. The Ocho. The Ocho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's That's like awesome. channel 482. <laughs> you can't find it unless you're lucky. Yeah, there's just so many choices today. Yeah, that's awesome. So I did want to loop back around. I mentioned earlier to um, how you got involved in the grocery business and kind of how it looped back in to your dad too. So when I left the bowling business in 1984, I moved back to Tacoma, Washington. I got a job running a 7-Eleven. And ended up being a franchisee uh, trainer for them and for the state of Washington. And I was hired away into the beer business, and I ran a Budweiser distributorship for seven years in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, And then at a moment in time when my son was about five, I realized I didn't want to sell (laughs) beer my whole life. Switched Uh, to wine then, right? (laughs) Switched to wine. It's Uh, more refined. I wish I had done that. That was a wine road I missed. (laughs) So uh, I went to work for um, West Coast Grocery back in 1995. And when I went to work for them in category management, uh, that's the same place, ironically, that my father worked in the warehouse back Mm. and left in 1969. So when I went through the hiring process and on the plant tour the first day where they walk you around and show you around, and I was out in the warehouse, there were people that had actually worked with my father decades before that walked up and said, hey, I heard you're Mike Anthony, you know, your dad Earl Anthony worked in the warehouse with us, and here you are today working. It was pretty ironic. That's yeah. really cool how it all circle, you know, yeah. moves back around. That, that is really cool. Amazing. So then uh, then you worked for there for a little bit, and then you made it over yeah, here? Yeah, right? I worked there for a couple of years and got an opportunity to go to work for Acosta Sales and Marketing, which is a, a national food brokerage. Ended up running their business for the Western U.S. for Heinz uh, and worked there for seven years. And then that moment where Todd Pogorzelski found me and, oh. and John McHugh, the region coach in the West, and uh, came out and interviewed me, and, and the opportunity was there. And I knew of Johnsonville because Acosta was the broker for Johnsonville in the Northwest. Okay. Uh, so I knew the company and, and the values of the company and wanted to come to be a member. So I know we talked a little bit. You you love golf and you love wine, right? Anything love else? Golf. You I love sports where they chase you with beer and wine. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you need another drink. <laughs> Something where you can do a little bit of both, right? I mean, think of it. You got pinball, you got darts, you got golf, you got bowling. In every one of those sports, there's people that want to sell you a beer or a glass of wine. That's right. a great sport. That you know, you and it's your son have very different views though. of uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> very different views on, on the idea. That's but yeah, awesome. I, I do love golf and play a lot of golf and, and fortunately my wife tolerates that on the oh, weekends and fair enough. Uh, That's all so it's it's a great sport to play. So where's your favorite where's your favorite course then, or what's sentimentally or just one of the best experiences or anything like that you want to mention? Uh, probably the two courses I've had holes and ones oh, on. There you go. Nice. Go. Wow. Yeah. So. Those are some pretty good bragging rights. <laughs> I can't um. even hit the ball after one swing. Let's <laughs> just get into a small hole. Crazy, crazy. On one yeah. shot. Yeah. <laughs> um. Have you had a chance to golf like uh, Black Wolf Run or Whispering Whistling Straits? I have Straits once or? on several of those courses, and they're spectacular. Yeah. yeah, you get up here in the summertime this time of year, and it's it's a real treat. Do you have a lot of golf uh, down by you then? 
I do. There's a, a Jack Nicholas course called the oh. Grizzly that's about a mile from my home. Oh, um, walking distance. Convenience. <laughs> <laughs> Stumbling <Yeah>. distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a very nice course. It's not that expensive to play. Um, so oh. we play there quite a bit. That's awesome. Do you do a league then? You just no, no, no. Leagues are typically on weeknights, and I travel quite a bit for oh, work around the central sense. United States. So makes typically sense. Saturday mornings, I'll get out and play early. So before we wrap up, do you have anything you want to talk about back, you know, bringing it back to Johnsonville? Is there anything you're working on or you're part of that you're really proud of? I, I think the thing I'm most proud of at Johnsonville is the fact that we uh, value our members so greatly. Uh, in sales, you know, we have 100% promotion rate from within. We've always wow. gone out and filled our positions, whether they're national accounts or area coaches or region coaches. Uh, in the last three or four years, I've had the opportunity to hire four very valuable members within the central region uh, that I think all have incredible potential within the organization. And that's what we do best at Johnsville is we use a company to develop our people. Uh, and I see that within our team. And I see the people being given the opportunities to learn, stretch, and grow. Uh, and that's something I'm very proud of within our team. That's awesome, and I'm sure they appreciate having a coach like you who's pushing them and letting them develop. Um, to be I'm the definitely best pushing they can. them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, I think it's nice to see as people we're all we're all in one facility, we're all on campus. We don't see how the the remote folks get to still connect with the the Johnsonville way and the the core values. So it's yeah. it's fun to see that you guys are still incorporating that, even though you're not here on campus with us going to the classes and seeing the posters everywhere right there, obviously. <laughs> I mean, the, it's everywhere. So we do kind of wonder, or at least I do, are, is everyone else getting the opportunity to, to be exposed to those things? So it's nice to hear. And it's more challenging because we're sure. remote and you yeah. can't walk down the hallway and you can't say, hey, you know, I was talking to so-and-so about something and thought you should know this. So mm -hmm. we spend an incredible amount of time on the Johnsonville Way and Hicks and the values of the company. Uh, you bring new members in and it's it's – for the first couple of months, it's almost like they don't believe it. It's too, <laughs> it's too good yeah. to be true. That it kind of is. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll Even walk here. up to you and go, I'm, I'm just not sure. And I'll tell them it might take you six to 18 months to really get this because you aren't in a facility. You aren't living this every day. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you're going to, at some point, the light bulb's going to go on and you're going to realize that this is something you're going to protect with, with your life, mm -hmm. the values of this company. Yeah. yeah. That's, well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great to hear. Well, at the, at the end of the show, we like to give our guests the opportunity to sign us off. So if you, if you wouldn't mind there. So this is Mike Anthony, and you've been listening to Off the Clock, a podcast made the Johnson Way.